It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, thank you kindly, and uh, good afternoon. Welcome. It is a Tuesday, April the 28th. And just at 5.05, Craig Roberts welcoming you to another edition of Lifeline. We are, of course, here each Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m. addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Pretty jam-packed program for you tonight. Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, will join us for an update. An awful lot of talk about what's going to happen in California in relationship to expansion of abortion proceedings, procedures rather. Um, certainly there's been a push, a big push by organizations like Planned Parenthood to bring about greater access to clinics, even on college and university campuses. Well, now we're finding out Planned Parenthood and its allies are bringing it even closer to home. In fact, right into the home. During the course of the last several weeks of this coronavirus shutdown across the country, a service called Teleabortion has been prescribing abortifacients to women and allowing them to essentially self-abort at home. No benefit of medical support or a doctor present. Something goes wrong, and it often does. And it's interesting how NARAL warns us of the dangers of returning to back-alley abortions. They've just managed to bring them into the home. Wow. We'll talk about this. Brian Johnston joins us on the program. Brad Dacus with an update as uh, California mm, begins to talk about opening up, although there's been uh, some new guidelines handed down here in the San Francisco Bay Area that um, six Bay Area counties are going to extend the shelter-in-place through the end of May. But as things begin to open up, how do churches respond? We're going to find out how Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute, will drop by for a visit. We'll also talk about uh, things beginning to get back up to speed again in California. Allegedly, the legislature is due, at least as of this conversation, back in business and in session on May the 4th. That potentially may be delayed, but if they do come back into office, um, or into session rather, some shocking measures that are being considered. We've asked our friend Pete Peterson from the Pepperdine School of Public Policy to join us with a report. Speaking of the legislature coming back into office, or back into session, I should say, um, they are indeed, as I say, potentially going to be coming back on May the 4th. And I want to get to a number of these measures as we turn to our friend with California Family Council, the Director of Capital Engagement, Greg Burt, for an update. Greg, always great to have you on the program. As I say, it's yet to be seen whether or not they actually return to session on May the 4th. Potentially that may be uh, extended, but nevertheless, when they do get back to office, we know that there are a number of scary bills that they are going to be considering. One, a uh, couple actually, that you and I have talked about before, but I'd appreciate an update for the benefit of listeners. And that is this crazy one, uh, Assembly Bill 2826, that's demonstrative of the notion that some members of the legislature have way too much time on their hands. This would outlaw the division of boys and girls' toys and clothings in big box stores. What? Tell me more. 
Well, Craig, thanks so much for having me on your show. Yes, uh, it seems a little bit unbelievable, but uh, Assemblyman Evan Lowe, a Democrat out of San Jose, has introduced a bill that would make uh, a crime for a big box store like Walmart or uh, Target to actually separate their children's clothes by gender and toys as well. So if you're going shopping uh, for your little girl and you're looking for a dress, uh, you're going to have to find it intermixed among all the children's clothes instead of just going to a, a boys and girls section. So it, help me understand, Greg. What 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 problem? What problem exactly are, are we experiencing with merchants in California that this is seeking to correct? So, if you go shopping to buy a dress for your girl or uh, toys for your young son, you go to that department and you purchase them. If for some reason you want to get a Barbie doll for your son, uh, uh, you know whatever I, I guess. Uh, uh, makes sense to you. I don't know that it makes sense to me, but if it makes sense to you, you know what department to go into. What is this bill trying to quote-unquote fix? Well, Evan Lowe, who is part of the LGBT caucus, believes that stores shouldn't tell kids what boy clothes are, and they shouldn't tell a child what girl clothes are. And it's as simple as that. He finds that offensive. Um... And the strange thing is he kind of completely forgets that we have a First Amendment and that uh, a store can designate a piece of clothing however they want. And the government has no right to dictate to a clothes designer uh, whether they think that clothes is for a boy or a girl. You know, what happened to freedom? Well, and why can't parents make that decision, you know, allow the parents to make that decision for their own? Why do we need to somehow uh, make shopping more difficult for the vast majority of California parents by, by mixing boys' and girls' clothing and toys together? It just absolutely makes no sense. That's Assembly Bill 2826. Uh, now, if that were the only crazy one, oh, we just got a bundle of them here. Uh, th- this next one here is particularly disturbing because of its violation of parental rights in California. That's Senate Bill 1004. Tell us about that. Yeah, this bill has been introduced by Hannah Beth Jackson. She's a senator from uh, Santa Barbara. And this bill is targeted towards health insurance companies, and it's uh, mandating that on your statement that, uh, parent, that the policyholder is not allowed to know about uh, other people on the policy, what kind of health care treatment they're getting if they are getting what the bill calls sensitive health care services. So it labels what it considers sensitive health care services. It uh, includes abortion. It includes mental, any mental health treatment. It includes sexually transmitted infections. It includes uh, rape care, sexual assault care. It actually also includes uh, cross-sex hormones and sex change operations. So if any of your kids who are on your policy, of course, kids can now say up until they're 26, right? Um, if there's no transparency anymore, so parents are going to get these the statements with this big number on there, and they're not going to know what the heck it's for. And we just have to take the word of the insurance company that it is related to something that my son or daughter 
um, has had done or service or medical uh, procedure performed. There's absolutely zero parental consent, zero daylight. And, um, you know, the the notion that all of a sudden uh, so-called sensitive services such as abortions, treatment for STDs, drug abuse, um, even up to and including um, things like sex change operations or sex change hormonal therapy could by law not be disclosed, and yet the parent by law must still pay the co-payment or whatever their financial obligation is. I mean, it, it, it doesn't and nobody else find this as ludicrous as I do. Well, the organization promoting this bill, it's on their website, is Planned Parenthood. So what I think is happening is that young people are going to Planned Parenthood and they don't want to use their insurance because the insurance company is going to send a statement to their parents and they want to keep the treatments they're getting from Planned Parenthood secret. And I think Planned Parenthood is saying, well, that's not, you know, they see this as a source of revenue that they're losing, and so they're promoting this bill under the guise of protecting the privacy rights of kids. Um, And even minors, most parents do not realize that California gives minors the ability to get all kinds of medical services without parental consent. Abortions, all mental health uh, care um, treatments and drugs, uh, rape care, sexual assault care, uh, all of these things children can consent to. So if your child's at school and someone, and they get pregnant and you don't know about it, but the parent obviously... I mean, the, the school can actually send the kid off to Planned Parenthood, get an abortion. Parents are not allowed to know. And now even the insurance companies are not allowed to say what their particular child is getting treatment for, you know, while they're not even at home. And this is not only is it a violation of parental rights, you would think even if you are for abortion, wouldn't you want to know that the medical services and a doctor is giving your child? How do you protect your children from unscrupulous, scrupulous uh, doctors? How do you how do you protect uh, yourself from being cheated by Planned Parenthood to charge you anything and you just have to pay for it? Well, and clearly the motivation here is exactly that, that they get access to health care dollars uh, without any level of parental involvement, awareness, uh, authorization, none of it. And um, so, you know, cl- clearly this is a way in which Pan- Planned Parenthood thinks it can get, you know, indirectly into the pockets of, of every single parent across the state because it's all about, for them, at the end of the day, money. Uh, let me have you comment on one other one here before we have to run, uh, Greg. Uh, that is this Assembly Bill 2218 that attempts to create a quote-unquote wellness fund of more than $15 million for kids that are albeit facing the challenges of gender dysphoria, and now this is attempting to essentially help to allow a minor, and I want to be very specific about that, we're talking about children under the age of 18, technically, legally a minor, to have access to both hormones and potential operations here, and we're going to fund it all with a $15 million government fund that you and I pay for. No, that's true, and I, uh, obviously this has uh, been an issue that's becoming more and more controversial. 
Um, it's becoming a fad among our youth to be transgender, to be not to to identify as a gender that doesn't correspond to their biology or their sex at birth. And we're finding that this is happening more and more. That the rates of transgenderism is increasing as a fad. But what's happening is, uh, listen, it would be fine if, if people had young people had a fad that uh, you know they outgrew. And, you know, it didn't cause long-term effects, but this transgender fad is uh, putting kids, encouraging kids to get uh, surgeries and take cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers, all of which sterilize them permanently and permanently damage healthy body parts. And so why, I mean, why in the world would the state taxpayers want to use their own money to fund this kind of thing. It's unbelievably appalling. And as we mentioned, the legislature may very well return to Sacramento on May the 4th, so it's important that you be in contact with your representative, be it in the California State Assembly or in the Senate, and let them know how damaging and dangerous these bills are. Complete list available at the California Family website, californiafamily.org. That's californiafamily.org. Thanks to Greg Burt, Director of Capital Engagement with the California Family Council for that update. 518 from KFAX. Let's get you an update on traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. As America slowly begins to open its doors, so to speak, on the heels of this horrific pandemic that has claimed, my goodness, over 56, 57,000 lives and um, impacted to one way or degree or other all of us. The big question, I guess, that's yet to be really realized or fully understood is what does a post-COVID pandemic quarantine shutdown America look like? And how may this potentially change so much that we had become so accustomed to, so comfortable with up until just a month ago? Joining us now with some insights, we're joined by Washington Times conservative political writer, Dr. Larry Fedowa. You, of course, can read his musings, uh, not only on the uh, Washington Times website, but also Dr. Fedowa's personal website, mypoliticalinsights.com. That's mypoliticalinsights.com. Always great to have you on the program. Let's talk a bit about this whole challenge of even trying to really get a handle on what does a post-COVID-19 lockdown America look like? And, And to be sure, this is going to impact every aspect of life, not just our working life, but our personal lives and I suppose everything in between. Well, it certainly could. We're, uh, uh, we've been, I've been speculating a little bit about that, as you know, and uh, uh, I guess we can talk about uh, the categories that I have uh, uh, thought the, the most about, I guess, uh, are uh, home and family life, business, sports and entertainment, and perhaps even uh, political, uh, there might even be political uh, ramifications. Uh, I guess we start with uh, the home and the family life. 
it's just it's amazing you know we've been through three generations now of uh, everybody leaving home we had uh, first of all it was the fathers that left home to work and then after world war two the, the uh, during world war two uh mothers started leaving the home and and of course then the compulsory education uh uh to take the children away and all of a sudden here they are all back in the house, and they can't get out. And uh, that seems to be uh, that there may be some really uh, significant uh, possibilities of of a different social trend there. Um, one of them might be that uh, the uh, whole idea of, uh, of being uh, parents, you know, parents and children having... Being, spending all that time together may really uh, have an effect on the relationship as the children see the parents not only as as uh, authorities and uh, people that are trying to keep, keep them from getting uh, driving too fast and uh, getting out into trouble, but also uh, that the, they have real personalities and real uh, charm and, and a lot of experience and so on. So, well, I suppose they, too. You're you're going to find a, a greater degree of just just by the nature of the beast, so to speak. Hopefully, and and, and we pray that this lingers. Uh, greater engagement by parents in their child's educational life. I mean, heretofore, and you kind of alluded to this. It's you know, pack the kids off and send them off to school. Be a private school, public school. There's a little example of um, homeschooling in America, but certainly not to any significant degree compared to public and private schooling. All of a sudden, now the kids are home. And the parents, out of necessity, are having to homeschool the kids or at least assist the kids with their schoolwork and their homework. And that, that could actually be a very positive outcome from all of this shelter-in-place. If it sticks, wouldn't you agree? I certainly do. And I think that, you know, the public schools would not have, have uh, participated in developing homeschooling in 100 years if they had... Uh, unless something like this came along, which forces them into it, and it frankly could have a lot to do, uh, a lot of effect also on on uh, whether children have to attend school so long and spend so long in the bus every day, and and uh, also the uh, effect on uh, on children on sports, intramural sports uh, might become more more relevant. It's uh, it really, and, and of course, the idea, the whole idea that the, that the parents have to have to get involved with their children's education is kind of novel to a lot of children, a lot of parents. You know, uh, the idea of somebody, one of the ladies uh, on the, my program said, uh, you know, maybe the parents uh, are suddenly realizing they have to, that they really are parents, and uh, so that that could be a very uh, a very effective, uh, a very uh, significant effect. But there might, I, I said there might be three, uh, three basic kinds of uh, effects. The one would be more babies. Every time we have one of these things, we never had it quite this long, but we've also seemed to have a, a big baby boom afterwards. And then secondly, there probably be more divorces, and there may be more home-based businesses. As people find out, both uh, employers and uh, employees, that uh, 
a lot of things can be done from home that aren't necessarily happen in the, in the office. Boy, isn't that true? Think about the potential impact on commercial real estate, for example. I mean, not just the fact that we're now ordering more from home and kind of supporting the online Amazon-style model that businesses out of necessity in the last month or so have had to as best as able shift to. But imagine, if you would, Dr. Fedowa, all the all the corporations out there who've now discovered, gee, we can, we can have employees work from home, we can reduce the size of our real estate footprint. We can reduce requirements for things like office phone lines, office equipment, um, computers, and things of that sort because we require the employees to provide their own. This could significantly change the way America does business once we get back to the quote-unquote new normal, don't you think? Yes, and also they they might have more home-based businesses uh, in which... uh it wouldn't be nearly as important for people to live close to the uh, center city as they do now. You know, they could have a, a, a certain amount of population explosion in the far-out suburbs and the rural communities, which was predicted, by the way, in a book in 1971 by Alvin Toffler, The Future Shock. He, uh, this is before the Internet, even. So that those are all... Yeah, and then, of course, this whole uh, shopping center thing might, you know, change, too, with all the deliveries and, uh, you know, the the whole food industry now, groceries as well as restaurants have gotten into the home delivery and takeout. A lot of changes. Let's uh, let's pivot to the to the other topic that you address, and that is uh, changes in recreation and entertainment. Certainly, we saw a major spike in subscription to services like Netflix and uh, Amazon Prime um, services of that sort. Uh, and as we see bigger states, particularly states like California, um, show resistance to large gatherings for likely some time to come. Uh, if we're not going to concerts or movies or stage dramas and things of that sort, um, could we potentially see football games played with no fans in the stadium and more Americans consuming their entertainment at home? I, it's almost inevitable, I think. Uh, for example, I, I don't see the idea of large-scale, uh, large crowds, Americans being really uh, comfortable in large crowds of strangers for, for at least until we get a, uh, a vaccine that is not only available but is widespread. Uh, and if that's the case, I, I think the NFL, for example, and 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 the all the college uh, sports are really they're really going to be up against it this coming fall, uh, and I would suspect that we're going to see uh, a lot of televised games with uh, in empty stadiums. Uh, I don't I don't see what I don't see what other option there really is. Uh, but boy, yeah, would that ever be a switch, huh? Indeed so, and not only a switch for spectators, but even for the players themselves who are used to the roar of the crowd and the excitement, be it going to a baseball game or basketball game, whatever the case may be, that that has implications all the way around. Before you leave us, Doctor, I want you to have you comment a bit on the potential impact on political trends. To be sure, we're in uncharted territory, and there's probably plenty of blame to go all around at, at every level, locally, statewide, nationally. But how do you see this impacting 
the um, the political realm, not least of which is potentially impacting the way we vote with the possibility of a greater move towards uh, um, so-called absentee ballot, balloting as we do here in California, where you can select the option to literally vote by mail and do so permanently. Might we see more of that? Yes, I think, I think we will. Um, I also think that one of the major impacts of this whole experience has been uh, the realization uh, uh, of how extensive the power of the government of our, over our lives really is. Uh, you know, people who have ordinarily taken government for granted and not thought very much about it have all of a sudden shock when they realize just how ubiquitous and omnipotent governments can really be. They can stop all our commerce. They can stop our social events. They can, they can, all of these things they can do. And it seems to me that a bunch of uh, people that weren't really ever thinking much about politics are going to start thinking that maybe we are going to need some really, uh, I'll just take a look at these candidates and see if, See what they what they really are trying to uh, espouse, and one of the possibilities might be that the clamor for constitutional privacy and and uh, freedom of movement and freedom of speech might uh, become pretty much more important than uh, than this left uh, left lean that we've had here in the last uh, the last uh, five eight or ten years. Um, Of course, I don't, this is all speculation, but um, when you start seeing the the actual uh, uh, protest uh, marches and and various uh, uh, kinds of outbursts of uh, impatience and and concern with uh, how people, they base, this all seems to be based upon the various uh, articles of the Constitution, you know, of freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of, of movement, freedom of, to do and say what you want. And were there people doing that in, in those protests, really, that have never, never really cared much about the Constitution before? So I don't know. It, it, it might just have some, uh, some impact. We may potentially see far more people involved in political life than than heretofore we have, and certainly it's been a perennial complaint of mine, the, the low levels of participation in voting. Um, maybe this is going to help to uh, to turn that corner and, and create a, a paradigm shift in terms of uh, greater degrees of involvement that we hope and pray will stick. Dr. Larry Fedowa, he is a Washington Times conservative political writer. His insights and musings available online at mypoliticalinsights.com. That's mypoliticalinsights.com. And Dr. Fedowa, always an honor and a privilege to have you join us on the program. 535, let's get caught up on some traffic for you right now from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. Um, You know, on the heels of our visit with Dr. Fedowa, I'm reminded of the fact that even as we, quote-unquote, begin to open up, and 
It's still up for debate as to how quickly that's going to happen in a state like California. I delineated earlier that um, six of the nine Bay Area counties have now issued continuation or extensions of the shelter-in-place orders that were set to expire on May the 4th that now have been extended through the end of May. I'm assuming that means Memorial Day weekend. Will that include all businesses and all types, such as what the lockdown has been so far? We don't know. And certainly the question of large gatherings, how will they be impacted on a medium to long-term range Um, And, of course, how is that going to impact the way we do church? Don't know. So there's going to be a a slow sort of revelation as I think the government gets a better handle on all of this. Meanwhile, taking first steps towards reopening church services and perhaps most importantly, finding alternative ways to uh, gather or engage in ministry during the COVID-19 pandemic is, um, I think, something that everybody involved in ministry needs to be aware of. There's going to be a um, a special seminar conducted by our friend, <coughs> pardon me, Brad Dacus of the Pacific Justice Institute. That will be this Thursday, April 30th at 2 p.m. And you can get more details by going online to pacificjustice.org and signing up. No cost or expense, uh, but you do need to reserve your place in advance It is a look at the right way to host safe and legal church services. And again, it's going to be taking place this Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific time. uh, Thursday, rather. Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific. And uh, details available on the web at pacificjustice.org. I alluded earlier in the conversation um, we were visiting with Greg Burt about some of the crazy measures that are making their way through Sacramento and uh, may potentially be up for consideration when the the legislature goes back to work again, potentially May the 4th, that could change. Um, To be sure, one of the growing trends that we've seen, in addition to sort of handing the keys of the kingdom over to Planned Parenthood, um, has been the impact on abortion. We know that the state has made no efforts to try and protect women going to abortion clinics across the state of California during this shutdown. And uh, we also know that there have been organizations with financial gain in mind that have sought to capitalize on this current scenario, essentially capitalize on fear, that in so many respects smacks of the so-called back-alley abortions that uh, purveyors of abortion on demand so often like to warn us of. And to get a look at what's happening here and how troubling this is from the standpoint of the extreme level of danger that it poses, we're joined by Brian Johnston. Brian, of course, is the Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. He also hosts Life Matters, heard every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. And and Brian, I suppose at a level we we shouldn't be surprised um, so much of the abortion on demand industry is just about that industry, meaning making money. And um, the concern for the fate of the woman or the child is, is, for the most part, of no concern to any of these people. But to see that we're now beginning to move into an arena where, in my mind, from a medical risk standpoint, how can we say that there's much of a difference between what's going on at the hands of an outfit called teleabortion 
versus the so-called back alley abortions that we're always warned against. Well, that's that's right, Craig, and that's really what we're seeing in California. Our legislature is literally the most radical state legislature in America's history. It's not merely the most radical we've seen it's ever in history. And the abortion issue is the number one issue ideologically. You cannot be a Democrat in California and hold office if you do not salute abortion on demand. And so this is an ideological war that they will not tolerate any dissent, and they're moving further than they ever had. Several of the bills that are going through, I know you talked to Greg earlier about many other bills, but we're seeing bills that are expanding abortion, that are bringing, uh, if you're familiar with the concept of a doula, doula is an individual in many third world countries, in Africa, for example, that is kind of a mom's mom, So uh, it's like a midwife, except even more generic. Um, There had been a bill proposed that basically would greatly expand the doulas of California, and they're working with pregnant women. Now, that might seem harmless initially, but if you know that California is one of only two states now that have allowed non-physicians to do abortions, that literally midwives are doing abortions now. There are no doctors present. There is no need for the surgical cleanliness you heard about in years past. In fact, California, we've talked about this before on KFAX, is that California now has no regulations. They removed the regulations overseeing abortion clinics. And so the cleanliness standards in the existing abortion clinics have been dramatically dropped, such that if you compare the abortion regulations to the clinics that govern a veterinary clinic, a veterinary clinic has such higher standards of training for personnel, of cleanliness standards, of lighting, of every aspect of that facility, there are regulations. Those have been removed for abortion clinics. And then, as you mentioned, teleabortion. And what that is, it's been going on for a while, and that has been happening, and people don't fully appreciate the doctor's not involved. In fact, the only doctor you see by television, and the only reason there is an MD after that person's name is because they must write a prescription. Of course, the prescription is then taken by the woman on her own, and that is the famous RU-46. And RU-46, it sounds like just a single pill. It's not deeply examined by the popular media in terms of what it really does. It's two different, very powerful artificial hormones that administered. The first one is taken only after the woman has missed her second pregnancy, excuse me, her second period. So we know the child must be at least eight weeks along. Otherwise, it's not effective. But what the first one does, it's called mifepristone. It actually attacks the mom's body. And that's what the media doesn't tell you, is that it's designed to alter what a woman is designed to do. That's how it's a marvelous thing. We know we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. And a woman's body is actually designed to ultimately be able to give birth, to bring life into the world. So when she becomes pregnant, her, her body's changing. What mifepristone does 
is it artificially says, stop it. You're not to be a mother anymore. And it attacks her hormones to prevent any nutrition going into the uterus, to prevent any of the changes that are necessary for motherhood, to prevent that from happening. But it's not done. So with this telemed, telemedicine, then the young woman, after several days, has to take another pill, and that's misoprostol. And what misoprostol do, it's very simple. Presumably, that baby has at least, we believe, has begun to die because there's no nutrition. But misoprostol doesn't care. That basically compels her body to force whatever's in her uterus out. And it's powerful. It literally is out of her control. And women that have taken this say it's terrifying. It's only bloody. There's nothing, it is terrifying, and women have died from this. But there's no doctors around. So the use of RU46, what they're now calling medical abortion, and that's really deceitful. They call the typical abortions that we used to talk about, those are surgical abortions. And now they call RU46 a medical abortion. You go, why is it? No, it's a, it, they call it medicine because it's a pill. Well, that's medicine. No, medicine is supposed to benefit life. This is poison. And so this is what telemedicine is about, and that's what they're vaunting. And apparently this has increased greatly now during the COVID crisis, not just in California, but across the nation. And what I sent you an article earlier, Craig, that, that there have been a demand now because certain crisis pregnancy centers, uh, several here in California, specialize in helping young women that have taken the first pill and then they realize what they've done and they regret it. You can reverse that process if you don't take the second pill and lives have been saved. So none of this gets discussed in the pop media. They simplify it. Oh, it's a wonderful, it's televised medicine. Oh, it's great, high tech. It's just, oh, it's so easy. It's a terrifying poison that attacks the woman's body first. That's how it kills the baby. And then it causes later the second regiment forces. If that kid's not dead yet, it will be shortly. And usually it's extremely extremely unpleasant for you know what what's terrifying about this brian is is beyond the obvious issue of the 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 um, fatality involved here meaning the loss of life of the child that's been aborted just setting that aside for a moment and people say craig you can't set that aside hear me out hear me out setting that aside for the moment the complete total and utter disregard for the woman's health is so shocking. I mean, in, in one scenario, as you point out, the, the elimination of these regulations to the point where your animal, your cat, your dog, is going into a veterinary clinic with greater control, greater sanitary conditions, greater regulation than a woman stepping into an abortion clinic. And apparently we didn't listen or learn our lesson from um, the likes of a Kermit Gosnell back in, in Philadelphia, this uh, abortion doctor back there that, that engaged in some of the most abhorrent practices, including extreme late-term abortion to the point where some children were actually delivered and executed. I mean, it's a tough term, but it's true. They were executed. Call it what it is. 
Not only is this bad enough, but now as you're suggesting in this board of patient that is, you know, doctor talks to you on the phone or engages in an email conversation, you've never met the doctor, doctor knows nothing about your health condition, none of it. They, they give the prescription and you get a package that arrives in the mail that includes tea bags, peppermints, pads, prescription ibuprofen and nausea medication. The woman then takes the first and then the second pill and there's no doctor attending whatsoever. So if there are any complications, any side effects that could potentially be life-threatening, as you say, this is poison that they're essentially taking. There's absolutely no attending physician whatsoever. So it, it just demonstrates that the abortion industry not only cares nothing about the children, who are nothing more than chattel, nothing more than a profit center, but clearly, Brian Johnston, they care nothing about the women that they claim to serve either. No, that's right. This is, this is entirely ideology, and it is, it is now the most dominant ideology in the state legislature of California. It is what unites Democrats, sadly. I just I would say it was not true. Years ago, uh, we've, uh, uh, we've been at this a while, Craig, and, you know, 30 years ago, there were a handful of pro-life Democrats, but that was 30 years ago. They have been forbidden. You cannot be a Democrat and oppose abortion. And we're living in a, an extraordinary time. When they come back, uh, whenever they come back, if they come back on the 4th or if it's later, uh, there are bills waiting, and these bills are to greatly expand the abortion industry. And the only thing we can do to change that is to pay attention and at election time, make sure that people you know who are pro-life understand how radical this pro-abortion mentality is and that people you know who say they're pro-choice, you know, polling consistently shows. Many Californians who call themselves pro-choice, they don't support late-term abortion, and yet that's legal in California, as we talked about last time. The state has admitted they pay for late-term abortions. They pay for abortions if there's nothing wrong with that late-term child or mother. It's just abortion on demand because it's wanted. I want the abortion. You don't need to give a reason. It's about choosing it. And most Californians who call themselves pro-choice say, no, if that child's six, seven months along, eight months along, I, I don't go with that. So we have to educate people on what's really the law, what's really happening, because the pop media is not. The pop media, as the president has said, actually, it has been fake news on abortion. They don't represent, they use words that are hollow, choice, reproductive rights. They will not describe the actual abortions that they support. And it's up to us to do that and say, you know, I have to speak up. This, this isn't right. So this is an opportunity this year, and it's sad, but it is, uh, it is in moments of crisis that we have to stand. And again, a, a crisis like the COVID situation, which clearly is a great crisis for a nation, when a, the abortion industry gets special protection and honor, there's something odd. And these, that's what brings these things to light. This is a sacred right in California. So it's up to us to talk about the objective facts and why this should be opposed. 
Sadly, so much of this goes on uh, kind of under the secrecy of the cover of darkness, so to speak. And, uh, of course, you know, the legislature is counting on you not paying attention. It's counting on you being distracted by so many other things. And even as they come back to uh, session, potentially May 4th, maybe later, a number of the bills that we've discussed today, it's so critically urgent that they hear from you and understand your position on this as their constituents. Um, and then to be aware of what's going on in the, in the greater arena when it comes to life. Um, we've seen so much tragic loss of life over the last six weeks or so. And yet, honestly, the life that we've seen lost pales in comparison. And I'm not making the comparison for theatrics. It's just a reality that somebody said today we've lost as many lives to COVID-19 as we lost during the Vietnam War. And that's true. We have. And yet, if you look at the tragic loss of life related to abortion on demand in this country, um, it is so many times over. In fact, we're talking about loss of life in the millions, almost twice the population of California since 1973, just wiped out. More information available, a good way to get educated, is the resources available at the California Pro-Life website, californiaprolife.org. That's californiaprolife.org. And certainly we invite you to tune in to Life Matters every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX for the program, hosted by Brian Johnston, when he gets a chance to dive deeper into these subjects, help you become a better informed voter, because as you're better informed, you can be better empowered to change things and to do everything you can to protect and defend innocent life. Again, the broadcast, Life Matters, Saturday afternoon, I'm sorry, Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. And details again available on the web at CaliforniaProLife.org. That's CaliforniaProLife.org. All right, we're coming up on 6 o'clock. Let's get you an update on some traffic here. We'll head over to the KFAX Traffic Center first for the latest.